children, you can head back for our children's church. And I ask you to turn to the book of Philippians. Our text this morning is Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This is Paul's prayer. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. You can be seated. That seems like a short prayer, doesn't it? And at first at glance, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot in this verse. But as we break it down, phrase by phrase, and put it in the context of chapter 1, there's so much depth. It is such a profound prayer. Paul has just expressed how he has this church in his heart, in the affections of Christ. He's expressed his absolute confidence that what God had began in the Philippian church, he was going to bring it to completion. And what God had began in the Philippian believers, the Macedonian church, was this deep relationship of love to participating in the gospel, in participating and sharing in all of Paul's ministry. And Paul says, from the very first day that I was in the city of Philippi, and Lydia's household accepted the gospel from that very first day, even until now, you've been participating in my ministry. And they participated through the giving of an offering. And anytime Paul was in need and he lacked, the Philippian church was there for him. And there was a deep bond of friendship and love and appreciation for one another. And Paul now exhorts them and prays for them, I want it to abound even more. So that, that tells us a lot about our relationship with Christ. None of us will ever arrive this side of glory. We're all in a process of growing in Christ's likeness. And all of us need to grow in the area and the realm of love. Because this is the essence of the Christian life. So because of this continual support, Paul has this absolute confidence that they're going to continue on in this love. But he says, I want you to grow even more and more 
None of us can be complacent, spiritually speaking, because Christ-likeness is our goal. Paul, in this letter, expresses how he has not attained. He hasn't yet arrived where he wants to be. Paul wrote this to the Philippians in chapter 3. It's not as though I have already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after that which I have been apprehended for, that I may be pressing toward the prize of the high call in Christ Jesus. Then Paul exhorts the Philippians, those that are mature in Christ, to have that same attitude, to always be striving, always hungering, always looking for a closer walk with Christ. He says this, Let us therefore, who are mature or perfect, be thus minded, and if any be otherwise minded, God will even reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same things. What Paul is praying for in these three verses, it's actually one sentence in the Greek. When we increase our love, and this is not just a generic love. This is the love that he's already expressed for them and they've expressed for him. And it's a love that is centered in the gospel of Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection, the free gift, that is the center of their love. And he says that love, when it is got two parameters, it's guiding that love, so it's not this, this vague, emotional, goosebump love. It is a practical love, and it is a discriminating love. It's to grow in knowledge and in all discernment. When we have that kind of love that's abounding, growing, and flowing out of us, and it's based on biblical truth and knowledge of the gospel and the gospel's impact in our life, and we're using it in discerning ways, the result is two things. You will make the right choices. I was laughing in my heart this morning when Caleb asked, has anybody made the wrong choices? Because this is the solution to making wrong choices. It's having God's knowledge, it's loving people, loving God and loving the lost, and using it in a discriminating way, a discerning way. So you will make the right choices, and you will become the right person. And it's all for the glory of God. That's the sermon in a nutshell. That's it. That's his prayer. So let's, let's break it down. I'm, I'm going to try something that I've never done before, and I may never do this again. But I'm going to try to give you a Greek tutorial, okay? So Doug's nodding his head. He's on board. So I wish I could just teach everybody Greek New Testament, but I'll probably never accomplish that. I tried it with a bunch of high school kids, and they, they did pretty well. Elizabeth is probably going to read this for us, right? No. So... 
This is the word and, and this. The word this is in the case that lets me know that it is the direct object. I am horrible in English. I didn't know English until I took Greek. I didn't know what a direct object was, but now I know it because the way this word ends, and it's neuter, so it's translated things, and this word right here is the word to pray, and it's in the present active voice. So what Paul's saying, I am continually praying, and here's the direct object, I am praying this. I'm continually praying this. He's already said that I pray always for all of you at all times. And now when he's saying, I am praying this. This is the word that in your English Bible. It's pronounced henna. And if you go to a Greek grammar, there are pages of what they call henna clauses. And sometimes they tell the result of something or they tell the purpose for something. So that this will happen or that this, uh, that that uh, the cause, but in this case, this henna is called an exegetical clause. So we know what it means to exegete something. It means to explain something. It means to give fuller details. So what Paul is saying, I am praying this. Now let me tell you exactly what I am praying. I'm not praying that your love will increase. That's not what I'm praying. Let me say that again. I'm not praying for you so that your love may increase. I am praying specifically that your love will increase. That is his prayer. I am praying for you Philippians that your love will increase. So he's renaming and he's further defining what he is praying, what this is all about. My prayer is for your love. This is a way that we should be praying for each other. This is not a selfish prayer to pray this for yourself. Because you are praying this so that God will receive all of the glory through your life. So that you will make right choices. So that you will be the best person that you can possibly be. So this is a way that we should pray for ourselves. I've been praying this for myself all week. God, may my love. May it abound. May it grow. May it be ever, ever, ever increasing. Because that is the essence of the Christian life. I've been praying this for my spouse. God, may Tracy's love. I've been praying this for my children. I've been praying this for our church. And you want application? This is the way that we should pray this week. Husbands, pray this for your wives. Wives, pray this for your husband. Parents, pray this for your children. North Valley Bible Church, pray this for one another, that our love, because this is the essence of the Christian life, they will know you by your love one for another. And so we should be praying that... And now the next word is a direct article. And it's not even translated in the English. Our English Bibles say that your love, may, uh, your love may abound. Here's the word your, but here's the word agape. You always wondered how that's spelled. There it is, agape. But this direct article, it's used in a sense to refer the reader back to what Paul has already been talking about. So this isn't just a generic love. He's saying, I want your love. 
Your love for the gospel, your participation in the gospel, the fact that you're sharing, that you're vicariously a part of my chains, that you too are suffering, and that when I am preaching and I'm giving my testimony, you are partaking in that. And that's the love that Paul is talking about. And it's also used with nouns that are um, abstract to make them more definite. An abstract noun is a noun that has feeling or emotion or thoughts, and you really can't nail them down too good to, to, in a specific way. So when you put an article, this little article right here, it's the love. Let me give you an example where Jesus uses this in John chapter 14. He says, I am the way. Because way is just sort of this nebulous idea that how do I nail, nail that down? Jesus says, I am the exclusive way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so Paul says, I am praying that you will love and the love, yet more and more it will abound. It will be continually abounding, overflowing, just spilling out on everyone. Your love for God, your love for the gospel, and your love for lost people. So this is the way, and this is exactly what Paul is praying, and this is how we ought to pray for one another. You can probably take that down now. Um, uh, Jordan, thank you. So this kind of love, though, it demands that we be, dis be discriminating, discerning. What I mean by discriminating is that love needs to have the ability to recognize and make distinctions. Love must answer these questions. How do I best demonstrate love? When is it loving to give? When is it loving to withhold? What is my motive in loving that person? And the only way that our love can have that kind of discrimination and that kind of knowledge, I'm sorry, it's through knowledge. So the word for knowledge that Paul selects here is a compound word. It's epigenoso. Gnosis is the normal word for knowledge. But he's saying, I want your love to abound more and more. This kind of love that you had for me, the love that you have for the gospel, the love that you have as a result of Christ coming and transforming your life, it needs to abound more and more, but it needs to abound in the area of epigenosco. That is practical experiential knowledge. Knowledge that has a keen understanding and an apprehension of the love of God that was demonstrated in Christ. I want your love to abound in this realm, in this area, that you will fully, keenly, deeply appreciate what Christ did on the cross vicariously on your behalf, suffering for you. 
That's the way our love needs to abound, specifically. So he's praying in the area of knowledge. Making decisions based on truth. That's what love does. Love doesn't make its decisions based on emotions or feelings. It can. But ultimately, love is the thing that guides our decision-making. And love is a sacrificial, practical, demonstrable understanding of truth. By this, we know the love of God. Not by our feelings. By this, we know the love of God that He sent His Son to die for us. Sacrificial, practical, demonstrable. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. He who has this world's goods and he shuts up his bowels of compassion from his neighbor, how does the love of God dwell in him? It doesn't. Love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 1 John chapter 3, 16 through 18. So that's the kind of discerning love that we are to have. I'm sorry, knowledgeable love that we are to have. The second area that love needs to be tempered, or the parameters for our love, is the word discernment. This word is only used one time in the entire New Testament. And this is the verse where Paul uses it. So I can't really do a word study in the New Testament to see how this word is used, but we have a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was called the Septuagint. And this word for discernment was used over and over again in the book of Proverbs. So by going to the book of Proverbs, we can see the frequent use of this. And in the book of Proverbs, this word discernment means spiritual insight. The ability to make right moral choices in the midst of a vast array of differing and difficult choices that constantly present themselves to us. You and I are bombarded with all kinds of options. Some of them are good choices, and then some of them are the best choices. And it's only through discernment can we know what is the best choice. Now, how does that happen? First of all, it's based on love. That's always increasing. I meditate deeply on the love of God that has been displayed in the gospel. It's to be ever-growing in the area of knowledge of God's word. And it is to be discerning when I make my decisions, because then I make my decisions with convictions. Now, what is the purpose of all this? We've got another one of those henna clauses for the purpose. So verse 10 tells us the purpose. That you may approve the things that are excellent. So that's, that's one of the purposes. There's two purpose clauses in this verse, but the first one, let's examine it. Verse 10 that you may approve. The word approve 
means to put something in a fire to test its genuineness. Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians where he says, God has tested me and approved me and put me into the ministry. So Paul was first put through the fire, then he was tried, and then he was tested, and then he was approved, and then God placed him in the ministry. So when you and I have knowledge based on God's word, and we are discriminating between what is the best choice, we can test things in our lives, and we can test our decisions. And what does Paul want us to test our decisions for? Let's continue to read that verse, verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. The word excellent is a compound word. Dia, which means to go through, and pharaoh, which means to carry or to bear. So we are testing things through knowledge and through discernment based on the love of God, and those decisions are going to carry us through to the other side, so to speak. In other words, those things that are excellent, the things that are surpassing. Some translations take that word diaphero and say the things that really matter in life. This is important. That's why we are to pray that our love is always to be abounding, that our love is not stagnant, that it's growing constantly in biblical knowledge and through discernment so we can test the things and we can make the right choices and choose the things that really matter in life. This is so a powerful prayer. The word also means that which excels, that which really makes a difference. I've often used this phrase and rationalized things that I've done. I said, well, it's really not going to hurt anybody. There's no harm in that. But that's not the way we're to make decisions. We're to make decisions based on what is best. What is loving? What accords with my knowledge of God's love as it is revealed in the gospel? That's the way we make our choices. So praying for our love to abound, it has the effect of helping you and I make correct choices. I can just give you some examples in my own life. Tracy and I were in divinity school. I was. She was probably in more than I was because she typed all my papers, um, kept watch for all the kids while I was out doing my stuff. I would have never made it through without her. They should have given her the degree, not me. But her and I, in the midst of this test in our life, going through school, I was faced with a decision on whether to continue studying at the particular seminary that I was at. And I could see the school going down the broad path of trying to appeal to a larger audience. And the only way a Christian organization or a Christian 
institution can do that to appeal to a broader audience is to take down some of the moral standards and biblical-based convictions because then you will draw more people. And I was in this divinity school right in the crux of this. And I could see it happening right before my eyes. But I only had one year left to finish my degree. I was struggling with it. I needed discernment. I needed to know. I needed to make the right choice in this in this pivotal path in my ministry, my life. I was praying and asking God to help me and give me discernment. The very morning, I don't think it was any coincidence, the very morning that I was to make my choice whether to re-enroll for my last year, I got up that morning and I was reading in my devotions in 2 Chronicles chapter 25. Does God speak to us out of 2 Chronicles? He sure does. I opened up my Bible that morning, and there was a king named Amaziah. And it says, King Amaziah served the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. The word loyal is the Hebrew word tome, which means integer. It's not fractionated. It's a whole number. And Amaziah didn't serve God with a whole, a complete heart. It didn't have all of him. just had part of him. And if I stayed at that school, I knew that I was not serving God with all my heart. I only read one verse, and I was already under conviction. I kept reading. He was going to war against the Syrians. So he hired out 100,000 soldiers from the king of Israel. The king of Israel was a godless man. Yet he was expanding his army. He was growing his army. Again, I'm getting under conviction. The school is reaching out to people who are not serving God at all. I mean, we, we were yoked in with, you name it, Jim Baker and that whole mess down in South Carolina, if you all remember that. You know, some of you old folks do. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, God, you're starting to get my attention here. But then King Amaziah says, wait a minute, God, I have paid 100000 I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, I think. Well, you can check me afterwards. A whole lot of silver anyway. What am I going to do for my, my investment? This was my thought process. God, I've invested three years here. I've got a job that lets me work on campus. I am coaching the distance runners I am traveling to every major track meet on the East Coast. I'm going to try to qualify for the Olympic trials this year. They're paying my way to go to school. It's not going to influence me in one way or the other. I've got too much to lose. And that's what this king said. I've got too much to lose. The prophet came back. And he looked Amaziah in the eye. And he said, God is able to give much more than this. I closed my Bible, 
I went and talked to my advisor. And I said, I'm not finishing at this institution. I'm going to transfer. Now, how in the world did God give me that conviction? It was through knowledge and then discernment. How do I take that knowledge and apply it to my life? And when your love for God is abounding more and more and more, you will make right decisions because God's knowledge is filling your brain and you are then discerning and then you are convinced that this is what I ought to do. So that's how this prayer works. But not only that, we become the best person that God wants us to be. Look at the other that in verse 10. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that are surpassing, that carry you through, and then what next to that? That you, there's three adjectives. The first one, that you may be sincere. That's the first adjective. The next one is without offense, and that's till the day of Christ. And the third one is actually an adjectival participle, and that's why it's translated ing in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. That is the best person that God wants you to be. He wants you to be a person who is sincere. He wants you to be a person that is without offense. And he wants you to be a person that brings forth the fruits of righteousness. And what does that result in? It results in the praise and the glory of God. So let's look at each one of these adjectives. The first word that he uses is the word sincere. That's the kind of people God wants us to be. Again, it's a compound adjective. It's two words. The first word is helios. My brother Ron knows that word because cosmology looks at the sun. Helios. Heliocentric is the sun the center of our universe? We're not going to go into that. That's not the passage this morning. But that's the word helios. It's the word sun. The second half of that word is crino. Helio crino. So the word sincere literally means light judgment. The ancients used this word when looking at fabric to discern whether it was genuine or pure, they can hold that fabric up to the sunlight. I must, be looking, I must be a shady character because a lot of times when I give a bill, people will take that bill and hold it up to the sunlight because you can tell if it's a counterfeit. That's the word that Paul is using here. So when you and I are sincere... What does that mean? We are to be transparent. What people see is what they get. And we are supposed to be transparent before God. We can't fool Him anyway. So we might as well be sincere. We might as well be genuine. But the person that is growing in love, always abounding in loving God even more, loving His Word more, loving truth more, that person will be sincere. He'll be genuine. It means pure, without any mixture. Let's look at the next adjective. It means 
The word is without offense. If I still had my, my Greek up here, but Jordan's gone. It's a, another, well, here he is. There he is. Okay. So let me just show it to you. Uh, here's the word helio. It's helia crines. Helia is sun. Crines is judgment. And, and see this little alpha? It's called a preformative alpha. In English, we put the word un in front of something to mean not. That's unacceptable, not acceptable. Well, in Greek, they don't put un, they put an alpha. And then we've got this word here, proskopoi. Proskopoi means to cause someone to stumble, to act in a way that you become blameworthy for someone stumbling or falling into sin. And so when you are loving God, and it's always growing and growing and growing, and you've got biblical knowledge, and you've got discernment, you're making the best choices, you're proving the things that are excellent, that are going to surpass and, and, and do the things that really, really matter. And then you're going to become a person who's genuine, sincere, transparent. You can see right through them, and they are what they get. You're also not going to be a person. You are not going to be a person that offends or a person who causes other people to stumble in their walk with God. Without offense, someone who doesn't hinder another person's growth in the Christian life because they have abused and used their Christian liberty in the wrong way. So let me just sort of summarize this person. The best possible person is sincere, he's blameless, he is harmless, but yet he is helpful. The third adjective is being fruitful. So let's just look at this word. Okay, that's the letter pi. That's epsilon. And that's a pie. Now, when you have that little configuration, it's called a reduplication. Now, if you've studied the language at all, the minute you see that, you know the tense of that word. It's, a, it's an adjective, but it's a participle. A participle is a verbal noun, if that makes any sense. And with that preformative, so the word is pleroma. But it's pronounced here, pe pleroma, because he's telling us that the tense here is in the perfect tense. We don't have a perfect tense in the English language. Per we, we do, but we have to add a bunch of words. But the perfect tense means something that has started in the past, and it continues throughout without ever ending. So Paul is saying, I want you to be sincere. I want you to be a person that doesn't cause anybody to stumble, that no one can blame you for them falling into sin, but I want you to be a person that began to bear fruit, and you will continually, continually bear fruit throughout your Christian life. You think about this. If you are continually growing in your love for God, you're continually using more biblical knowledge, and you're discerning, so you're making the best choices that really matter in life, and you've become a person who's sincere and genuine, 
and you're not causing people to stumble. You're like a fruit tree that you shake it and nothing but fruit comes down. Now, what is the fruit? We've got a genitive phrase here. The fruits of righteousness. Genitive phrases are hard to interpret. But this one is pretty easy. He's describing what kind of fruit this tree bears. It's righteous fruit. When our attitudes are right, our actions and our words are going to follow suit. And that's what he's praying for. Now, is fruitfulness something that we need to just generate ourselves and say, I am going to be fruitful today. I'm going to try harder. I've never seen any of my fruit trees in my backyard trying to make themselves more fruitful. They just do it because the branches are abiding in the trunk of the tree where all the nutrients and source comes from. And what does our text tell us? That you might bear the fruits of righteousness. And then we've got this relative clause, which are by, my translation says by Jesus Christ, but it actually it's the word dia. And that word used with the genitive means the instrumental means. And here it's not an instrument, it's a person. The person that produces the fruit in you is Jesus Christ. He is the one who produces the fruit. And when you are abiding in Him, the fruits of righteousness will just flow out of your life. And the result of all of this is that God then is the object of all the praise and glory. So let me just kind of give a conclusion of this prayer. Paul's prayer consists of one sentence. It is short. Nevertheless, it is profound in its implication for our lives. As North Valley Bible Church, as a Christian fellowship, we should be distinctively a people who are ever growing in our love for God. We should be ever growing in our love for each other. And we should be ever growing in our love for the lost world because we understand the essence of the gospel and the essence and the character of God is love. That's what God desires for us. This overflowing love must be guided by practical knowledge and spiritual perception. The purpose is so that we will have the ability to recognize and to choose the things that really matter in life. Have you ever heard that expression, what really matters? And Christians should be able to know that and to put their finger on it. We should be people who are transparent pure, genuine, using our liberty in no way to harm or to hinder other people in their walk with the Lord. As we are growing as an assembly of a Christian body, we should be bearing more and more and more fruit. We should be hearing testimonies of changed lives, changed behaviors, 
relationships that were fractured that are being mended. Lost people who are hearing the gospel. That's what will happen. That's what will transform this church. And the result of all of it is that God gets all the praise and all the glory because after all, it's all done through Jesus Christ. Rather than focusing on being fruitful, let's focus on the one who produces the fruit. Every one of you have got a prayer that you can pray this week. And something like this, Lord, I pray for this person. God, I'm asking you to help them to grow continually in their love. God, give them biblical truth and biblical knowledge. Give them a hunger and a thirst for your truth and your righteousness so that, God, that they can test the things that are excellent, that they can test and decide and make the right choices on those things that really matter in life. This is the way I need to be praying for Brendan, for praying for Lexi, for young people. God, may their love for you just always be growing. God, give them the ability to make the best choices. God, may they be people who are sincere. May they be pure. May they be genuine. May they be transparent before you, God. May they be people who don't cause others to stumble. God, make their lives fruitful through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, and through the transforming person of Jesus Christ. God, you be glorified through that. If you can't remember that prayer, just read it and pray it. There is power, right, in praying Scripture. Let's close. Father, thank you so much for Paul being such an incredible teacher. But thank you most of all, God, that he wasn't just a teacher. He was a man that loved people, and he loved the gospel. And he wants us today, the Holy Spirit of God, you, Jesus, you, you wrote this book through the pen of Paul, and you want us to be people of love. You want our love to ever be growing and always flowing, not just in some kind of existential way, but God, in a way that is filled with true practical knowledge and discerning, God, help us as a church, help us as individuals to make the best choices in the things that really matter in our relationships with other people, the things that really matter in eternity to come. God, I pray that North Valley Bible Church will be a church that's sincere. We not, might not be perfect, Lord. And God, you reveal it to us when we're not. But God, may we be genuine. May we be honest with each other. May we be transparent. May we really, really just be, be so true with you. that God, that, that you can look through, through us anyway. But, but God, help us not to play games spiritually. Father, I pray that, that God, that as we are abiding in Christ that, God, our fruit will be fruit that is righteous, that is good, that's practical, that it's helpful, that it changes our attitudes, which will influence our actions and our words. God, 
We're asking you to be glorified through North Valley Bible Church and all that we do in this coming year. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.